What happens if a hacker breaks into Android? Can it then control the car and drive away for it remotely? And we are making our own infotainment system as basically make products for anyone from like more higher volume car makers to very low volume car makers. So they, they test their software and their design on like very elaborate hardware that is comparable to the real car. So they work in cycles of months. Welcome to episode 11 of the Screens podcast. Today we have a guest that has actually reached out to us to be part of uh, the podcast. Uh, we were very excited for this one. Uh, as always, I am joined by Srivas. Hello. And on the other side, we have Casper uh, Kessels from Snap Automotive. First, thanks for having me on, on the podcast. I'm really excited to, to start this conversation. Um, so I'm a, I'm a designer by trade, a UX designer. Uh, my background is in UX design for inside the car industry, uh, outside of the car industry, in the more tech industry, working at startups. And more recently, I've joined Snap Automotive to lead the design and product side of the company. It's a company dedicated to Android Automotive. Uh, and we are making our own infotainment system as a product for car makers that uh, don't necessarily have the resources or the experience to build their own. Um, so we have a fully customizable product for that. And at the same time, we help major OEMs uh, with their Android automotive infotainment systems. Uh, so I hope to share a little bit of insights uh, about what is going on with, with Android and with just UX design in general in the car industry. Wonderful. Uh, I think this is a topic right up my alley because I, I also have a backgrounded user experience for automotive. So I think we share that in common. And uh, Tom and I spend a fair amount of time in cars, testing them for different projects and so on. And of course, one of our favorite uh, operating systems is Android Automotive, if if that's the right word to use. Uh, but we can, we can, of course, get started with the most basic question then. What is Android Auto and what is Android Automotive? We know it, but a lot of people tend to get confused with it. Yeah, Google is not great at naming <laughs> products in this case. Yeah. There is a difference between Android Auto and Android Automotive. Uh, Android Auto is um, the equivalent of Apple CarPlay. So it's uh, basically uh, an infotainment system running on your phone and it's mirrored to the display of the car. So there is very little connection between the, uh, the, the things you see on the screen and the car itself. Uh, it's all running on your phone. Android Automotive is a native operating system for the car. So it's fully integrated with the car uh, and it's not running on your phone. Uh, and up until recently, most car makers were using some version of uh, a Linux based system to build their in-car infotainment system. Uh, and Google then announced a special version of Android that is dedicated to in-car use and most car makers have announced the switch to to android so it's going to be a big thing yeah uh, we've been seeing that increasing trend you know we saw in different markets and i think here in europe we have the renault megan uh, we volvo as well I guess. volvo as yeah. well and uh, in the us it was cadillac if i'm not wrong gm in general gm hammer ev for sure that's in our yeah. database i think the whole group is the now switching group, yeah. to google casper uh, then what exactly is the advantage of using android automotive you know versus using android auto i mean uh, as a consumer, I would uh, I would expect that I can just sit in a car, plug in my phone, and have everything on my phone as is because I take it everywhere. So how how do you think the the use of Android Automotive is more advantageous? Well, there, that's 
there's two things basically. There's an advantage to the car maker and there's an advantage to the consumer. The advantage to the car maker is that uh, Android is a pretty well-known system. Uh, it's quite easy to develop it. Uh, and so out of the box, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to get going with it as a platform and build a very fast, decent uh, infotainment system compared to a native Linux system. Uh, but more importantly, uh, Android has a huge ecosystem, not mm -hmm. only of developers, but also of third-party apps and third-party app developers. And so by using Android, you basically get somewhat access to this huge network of third-party apps. So before, or like most cars today, you cannot have Spotify or YouTube or any of the popular apps inside the car because every car maker has its own bespoke infotainment system. Mm -hmm. So that Volkswagen has to go to Spotify and say, can you make an app for me? And then um, BMW has to go to Spotify and say, can you have it, make an app for me? Mm -hmm. and, and so obviously it doesn't make sense for Spotify to go and make like 50 different apps. Yeah. Um, but because it's Android that you theoretically can make one app that runs on all uh, car brands. That makes and so sense. for the consumer, there's the advantage that basically you can have access to all of the third-party apps and you're basically the favorite apps that you use, which I think is the main advantage of like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. You just, you know, look something up on Google Maps, plug on your phone and you go. Uh, and, and that's something most cars today cannot offer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this kind of goes against the usual trend of OEMs, right, where they try to create their own name it their own, even though the features, uh, even ADA's features are pretty much shared between all the cars. They always come up with their own name to name that feature. Um, how is that going uh, with the OEMs? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because uh, there is a bit of a divide when you use Android Automotive, where um, you can basically, if you start using Android Automotive, it does not come with the uh, apps and services uh, that you want to use. So you have to find your own app store, your own navigation app, your own voice assistant, uh, etc. Now, Google will happily license this to you. So they say you can get Google Automotive Services or Google Built-in, as it's often called. Then you make a licensing deal with Google and you get the Google Play Store, Google Maps, Waze, the Google Assistant, etc. This is what you see in uh, Polestar, Volvo, Renault, uh, GM. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of car makers are also going the other way um, where they say, okay, we do not want to have the licensing deal with Google for a lot of reasons. Uh, and that means they have to find their own app store and their own uh, navigation app, etc. And so there are now companies starting up to move into this field of building automotive app stores. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, like you can expect, every car maker will want to have their own app store um, uh, and their own voice assistant, et cetera. And so you still see this fragmentation. Uh, so just moving to Android Automotive doesn't automatically solve that all apps are available in all the cars because it may still end up that each car maker has their own app and each car maker will have to go to Spotify and say, or their own app store, and they will mm -hmm. go to Spotify and say, will you put your app in our app store? And then they will still go like, why would we build an app for 50 different app stores if we can just put it in the Play Store? So yeah, yeah. that's also still happening at the same time. It's funny because it really resembles the early stages of smartphones at this point where you would almost have the same app, but it would 
kind of always be different or you would have the footnote where it's like it only works with this version of android but it doesn't translate to the next one it's very interesting it reminds me of the early times of android when it was still called android market and not google play store you know if if you if you're as vintage as me you would you would know this uh, but definitely i think we are going to dive a bit more deeper into this aspect of car makers having their own os and play store uh, app store but before we go down that route let's discuss a couple more general questions you know do you think apple will also create their own car os like <laughs> android automotive well that's a great question um so it, you can only guess at this point yeah. so apple has made a, quite an interesting move by announcing a new version of apple carplay that does not just take over a part of the screen but takes over all of the displays inside the car so mm -hmm. b basically they provide what I imagine is a framework where car makers can uh, basically connect their climate controls uh, and their display and the information cloud and in the instrument cluster mm -hmm. and mirror that to Apple CarPlay. And then Apple CarPlay can take over the entire digital experience in the car, uh, which is a really interesting move. Um, I think consumers really love this uh, because Apple CarPlay is probably the most popular in-car software at the moment uh, but of course they depend apple depends on the car maker to yep. to integrate this and car makers so far have not shown a lot of excitement mm -hmm. because they give i guess a lot of power away to to apple um but yeah to to answer your question i'm not sure if apple will launch their own native software inside the car yeah. because that also means for them giving up some control and apple yeah. tends to want to control the user experience fully that's true and i think they go into that angle where your phone is so powerful right now that you can basically run the entire infotainment system on the phone and provide a uniform experience for everyone yeah but that's interesting then how is the integration going to work with car features you know with uh, android automotive you can at this point Almost control the whole car. Yeah, not uh, the climate control. Not I the guess. climate control, but at least functions. in our experience, yeah, the climate control is different, but car functions yeah. can still be integrated. Yeah. Right? So, do you think uh, they will bridge the gap between you know uh, car controls and Apple? Yeah, I think this is the interesting point, right? Because with Android Automotive, you can control everything inside the car that isn't safety critical. Uh, and so you can make a very deep integration with the car. Mm -hmm. Now, Apple CarPlay, even like the newer one, will run fully on the phone. Uh, and so Apple will depend on the integration with the car to make sure that the, the car maker can send data to Apple CarPlay. And it's not really known yet how that would work. Um, so I'm quite curious to find that out. But I expect that basically Apple CarPlay will offer a set of controls like standardized climate controls and standardized like speed in the instrument cluster uh, and, and other like crucial information. And the car maker will have to do the translation between their lower level software that deals with that uh, and Apple CarPlay. Uh, you mentioned that Android Automotive uh, can control those things that are not safety critical. By this, I, I would assume you mean things like ADAS, cruise control, these kind of things, right? Yeah, so there, it, there's a difference between controlling things and displaying things. Mm -hmm. So uh, Android Automotive cannot control safety critical things. So to just give a simple example, you cannot steer the car <laughs> via Android Automotive or you cannot accelerate and brake, of course. Mm -hmm. 
but it can display safety critical information. So it can display speed and it can display ADAS and other things. Right. Okay. Um, as long as the legislation uh, accepts a possible delay or something, but that's usually fine. So there are car makers uh, we are working with where we're integrating the full instrument cluster and in automotive, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's totally possible. Oh, that's very interesting to hear because that was that was one of my follow-up questions because I wanted to know if Android Automotive has access to car data like like speed, mileage, mm -hmm. odometer, whatever it is, these kind of information. And um, can this data also be used to develop apps? Because I would see, for example, you see so many apps today like Pace Drive where you can enter manually how many kilometers you've driven and how many, how many liters of diesel and it tells you how much you've consumed. Yeah. Maybe this could be used to develop apps. This car data could be used to develop apps that could show information like this more natively, right? Do you think sure, that's a yeah. possibility? Yeah, at the moment, this is quite uh, limited. So, of course, Android Automotive provides a layer where a car maker can push data and Android Automotive translate that to Android Automotive for mm -hmm. use inside the car. Um, for system apps, so apps developed by the car maker itself, you have access to a lot of this information and you could do stuff with it, mm -hmm. uh, such as routing and uh, like you mentioned, uh, stuff around speed and et cetera. Yeah. But for third-party developers, there is a more limited set of APIs available that they can use at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, Google, uh, the Google apps use a templating system, much like Android Auto, where Google will say, if you want to push an app to the Google Play Store, we are responsible for the safety of the driver, basically. So if there's an app in the Play Store that is super distracting, it's Google's responsibility to uh, allow that or not. So Google mm -hmm. will say, okay, you can put your app in the Play Store, but we will enforce templates on the app. So we will say, okay, you can only use app, you can only push apps for navigation or for parking or for media. And you have to use specific templates that Google has designed for your app. And so with these templates also comes access to certain information of the car, which is currently quite restricted, but there is the possibility to open it up later. But I mean, uh, when we were testing the smart routing functions in multiple vehicles, I think Megan with uh, the Google Maps was top. Yeah, one of the best. And not only was it... Uh, well, we haven't tested the actual uh, range of the Megan, uh, so that's kind of on the Renault side of things, but really the integration and the ecosystem and the architecture was so clear to navigate. I mean, it was like your phone, which you're used to, plus the vehicle functions. So it made it so such a flawless experience. It was it felt just natural, you know, yeah. uh, whereas in yeah, the, others, right. the others were uh, on yeah. the other side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the Polestar system or Volvo at this point as well and Renault are the only ones where I, I hear owners say, like, actually, I don't use CarPlay. I, mm -hmm. I find the Android Automotive system much better. Uh, so to give an example of how deep the integration goes, I think in the Polestar, if you plan a route with charges on the way, the car will know which route you're taking. And so when you approach your charge stop, it will start heating up the batteries already. So oh, it, wow. it charges much faster. So this kind of integration is totally possible with, with Android Automotive. Yeah, that's totally next step though, because that takes into consideration the life of the battery and how well it's going to maintain 
Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I to be frank, when we tested the Android automotive systems, we did not imagine that the integration was this deep. You know, we thought it was more still at a, a layer, just a layer, yeah, yeah. layer at the OS level for yeah. the touch screen or something like this. Uh, but I think we come to a very critical topic now because with Google comes the inevitable privacy concerns your favorite topic we we made a video with the megani tech and where, where we discussed this because i was thinking that as a consumer if i don't want to use android automotive or google on my on my vehicle but i really want the reno you know um, then i'm kind of forced into this right and then there are of course privacy concerns surrounding google which may or may not exist with other OEMs that develop their own software. For example, some may have all the data encrypted within the car itself. But in the case of Google, it's of course Google integrated. So what are some privacy concerns that you've seen surrounding Android Automotive that have come from users, OEMs, different? Yeah, I think first of all, uh, if you have, if you're using a car with, which has Google built in, so it has the Google services, Basically, you need to use a Google account yeah. to make full use of it. Exactly. So if, I think if you there, there are a lot of uh, rental car companies have Polestar's in their fleet, and so these are run without a Google account, mm -hmm. uh, and so you, you can use it without a Google account. But of course, the power of the Android system comes by having the possibility to download apps mm -hmm. in the Play Store on your Google account by sharing the data so you can use Google Maps on your phone and have your favorites saved there and then you have them in the car as well. So it, of course you can use it without a Google account, car makers say, but it's much, yeah, it's very limited then. So that's definitely a restriction. Yes. Uh, that's something perhaps the car makers that will not use Google services, but just Android Automotive with other services can mm -hmm. benefit from, do differently. But on the other hand, which car maker does not have their own account these days? So True. There's there's lots of data for each car maker that is being used, and it basically depends on the privacy policy of each car maker how this data is handled. Where some are very progressive with it and store a lot of personal data only inside the car, other car makers, uh, if you read their privacy policy or if you even find it, <laughs> they uh, are a lot less. Uh, discreet about it but in your experience have you seen i mean okay let's let's take one step back when it comes to privacy in your experience have you seen that oems are better than google in this case android automotive with privacy or or is it the other way around what's the trend that you have observed um i think it's hard to to focus just on android automotive for this so mm -hmm. android is Android Automotive is just an Android system. So it comes with the same privacy settings you have on an Android tablet or an Android phone. So mm -hmm. you can basically choose for each app if you want to share the location, um, what permissions you want to give, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But the car in, in itself collects a lot of data mm -hmm. and it's up to the car maker how to deal with that. Uh, so that's not enforced upon by Android Automotive. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tom, you had something? No, 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 no. Okay. I mean, I just wanted to then dive a little bit into the topic of how deep the integration of Android Automotive is. You just gave an example earlier where you said that when you set a route with charging stops on the way, the car starts to heat the battery automatically to, you know, to, to make it condition to the, to the charger. 
is do you have any other such examples that can speak a little bit about how deep android automotive is integrated into the car because this is not immediately evident when you play with the system you know yeah um so android automotive provides a whole wide range of apis uh so the the layer that sits between android automotive and the lower level software of the car is called the vhal in android terms mm-hmm. and that translates data from the car to android automotive and so it also depends a little bit on the car maker and what kind of lower level software they use mm-hmm. what you can send to android automotive um so we have worked with uh startups uh, that build their own lower level software and they have a whole data set available of very accessible car data and mm-hmm. we can send that to Android Automotive so even though it's not technically legal we made a concept showing like hey from Android you can control stuff like the throttle or mm-hmm. the steering input you can do that it's you shouldn't <laughs> but <laughs> you enough. can do it so you can basically access a lot uh much more than than you could basically do today already oh wow okay yeah that is very deep Yeah I mean in my mind I'm picturing a sci-fi movie where someone's hacked an android uh, no don't get me wrong I'm not yeah. saying that they can but you know when you say you can control We're the avoiding th- to get sued so yeah yeah, yeah I'm not careful. saying that we can be careful be careful but uh, since you said you're possible to control the throttle you know I'm imagining a sci-fi movie where they're actually showing this but anyway jokes apart Yeah and I mean that comes with serious security concerns right so I think there's lots of news right now in in of car makers being hacked mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's very difficult a security issue there seems to be car brands that do it better than others mm-hmm. um and so android poses a serious question there because it's such a broad open system car makers don't tend to use the latest version of it so what happens if a hacker breaks into android can it then control the car and drive away for it remotely Mm-hmm. uh and so the answer to that is basically the lower level software mm-hmm. so it's always up to the car maker to make the safety critical software um resistant to outside attacks uh and that's very difficult to do like we've seen car cars being hacked via key fobs via oh, everything yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but basically a car maker should consider android not to be unbreakable you would should imagine that someone can hack into your android car and then that's why android does not deal with safety critical things mm-hmm. there should be there's a barrier there that makes uh, that sense, a car maker yeah. should prevent from from being breached I, i guess this is the case with everything really i mean even unbreachable systems always are breachable you just have to find that one person that will finally find a, a way of doing this and i guess with cars becoming more fly by wire this will be something that we have to consider basically like leaving your doors in the house you know locked and then considering if they're anti theft or are they just like cheap doors you know and you can yeah. kick them in so i mean it's the same thing as security measures continue to evolve security threats will also yeah, continue yeah. to evolve this how it's been historically even 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 with things that are probably more relatable to bigger audience even when you when they introduce the pay pass or pay by touch uh, payment systems you know where you had like below 50 euros you don't even have to sign the card you just click and move on i i remember cases of of uh where they're not actually pickpockets but like i guess credit card pickpocket people they will go with terminals in the tram or the bus and just 
click and, and do multiple runs for just like few euros, yeah. but they would do hundreds a day and that would total up. I don't know how they would use the data and how they would, I guess, essentially skim the cards or something, but uh, but yeah, but I mean, we're moving to the digital age and this is something to Security is always, always a yeah. concern. Let's, let's speak about security for one more question. Um, Casper, you mentioned earlier also that there is possible, uh, there is a possibility to access a huge open source library when it comes to Android. And uh, I I remember the good old days of using Android phones where we used to like, you know, unlock the bootloader and play with it and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And uh, basically one advantage Android offers with its open source system is the ability to sideload apps, use third party apps and so on. And this also brings with it some amount of security threats because you don't know what the third party developers have done. Is this a similar situation in Android Automotive and cars or is Google a lot more stricter with this at a more integration level, for example? Uh, so th this is up to the up to the car maker. Mm -hmm. um, so a car maker can load third third or system apps side loaded onto the car. Okay. So for example, if you are a third party app developer, you have to stick to the templatings of the Google Play Store. Okay. But if a car maker using Google built-in wants to build like a special app, they can avoid the whole templating issue and say, okay, we take responsibility of the design of the app and the updating of the app. Uh, and so we can sideload this app onto our system. So there have been examples of that before. Uh, what you want to prevent, of course, is that non-car maker uh, developers exactly. <laughs> put their own apps uh, inside the car. And so yeah. that's up to the car maker to build a solid uh foundation in there so that you cannot access it um, while your technicians would still be able to. to that is very interesting. Do you think this is uh, not only because of the demand for the entertainment apps in the Western uh, markets, uh, opposed to Chinese cars where you have so many entertainment, karaoke, selfie apps that you can download to your car and basically turn the car into a third uh, living space, yeah? Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, again, the, the, the problem here is that the car market is already relatively small compared to the number of smartphones uh, mm -hmm. and other devices. And then you have a single car maker. So I'm sure car makers would want to go to Netflix and say, hey, can we have an app, a system app in our car so that people can watch Netflix? Uh, but Netflix doesn't care about a few million cars. They care yeah. about hundreds of millions of devices. Uh, so it is possible, but I think it's restricted by the, the kind of apps you want to have in the car and their motivation to build a dedicated app. Okay, let's jump over a little bit to another topic. Um, we work with a lot of OEMs. Some of them have very openly said us, yeah, we are jumping to the Google suite. Some of them are very intent still on developing their own OS, their own voice assistants and so on. Why are car makers increasingly switching to Android Automotive? I mean, you did mention a few advantages earlier, but is there something really concrete that sets apart Android Automotive versus developing your own OS and voice assistant systems that even huge OEMs like Renault, which is almost a national OEM of France, you know, switching over to um, Android Automotive? Um, so I, there's a difference between switching to Android Automotive and also sticking to your own in-house developed services. So everyone is, um, almost everyone is switching to Android Automotive for the ease of development, uh, mm -hmm. the faster system, et cetera, and the, ex the possibility to have third-party apps. 
But then you can choose to have Google built in and get all of your services from Google, or you can find other third-party services or build your own. And so there is a big difference there. And it's, I guess, mostly a business decision mm -hmm. rather than a technical decision. Uh, so the business decision is that, um, will you give away all of your services to Google? One licensing deal, so very simple, but you get everything in return and the most popular services, which comes with a cost and it comes with a kind of dependency on Google. Um, and you know, Google is not always the most popular service, uh, especially in countries like China. Mm -hmm. So for example, Polestar is going to build a different infotainment system in China than it has in Europe and the Western market. So that's one reason why car makers wouldn't choose for Google built-in. Uh, another reason is the sort of hardware requirements Google imposes. Mm -hmm. uh, if they say, okay, you can have Google services, but you must have certain hardware requirements so that it runs well. That's not a reason. Um, but yeah, the, the, the dependency on Google is a big one. And, and we see lots of major car makers choose not to go with Google and create their own app store or license their own app store and their own services. Yeah, this is very interesting because it uh, connects to something that uh, Joachim Mattis uh, from Valeo uh, has said on our podcast that to run some of the systems, the hardware is so expensive that even the uh, purchasing price for the OEMs is almost like retail for us for something normal. You know, it's in hundreds of euros and then you multiply that by the millions of units they have to make for, for the car and it just drives the price so high up that it just doesn't make sense to run this uh, at the moment at least. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, going with hardware, I mean, how powerful are these uh, vehicles now from the hardware point of view? Um, well, compared to your smartphone and tablets, it's not that impressive, of course. Mm -hmm. So the because of the long development cycle, so cars that start development today will be launched in three or four years. So the yeah. hardware will be out of date three or four years. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the kind of system that you want to run, mm -hmm. how powerful the hardware should be. Uh, but I mean, we we develop our our uh, own infotainment system on Samsung tablets that are three or four years old. Okay, and they are comparable to a new car today. <laughs> oh, wow. that, that's um, some challenges, no? When you have to look for old devices <laughs> to, to, to yeah. create your new tech, and that adds up to our experience in some of the cars. Oh, yeah, could be. <laughs> could be. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, we have seen in some vehicles that we test, you know, it's being on the topic that the system tends to freeze when you're throwing too many too many things at it, when you're like trying to... I, I remember this is one car where we set the navigation to somewhere outside of Germany and the it just froze. We had to do a factory reset to get the system working yeah. again, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, I think hardware-wise, it's, it's going to get a lot better soon. Uh, just because of the advances of, of uh, hardware development uh, and the access to, I mean, you don't need a huge amount of power to run an infotainment system. So it, it's going to get better, but still you have to develop good software. So a lot of the clunky UI you see is not because of the hardware, it's because yeah. of bad software development. <laughs> But what are some difficulties that these car makers may face when creating that UI, you know, because I look at, for example, Google Automotive, it's it's a little unfair to compare, compare Google Maps with Volkswagen Maps or something like that, because Google Maps has been historically the number one for a decade now. 
but let's say you're comparing uh, the polestar with the volkswagen then what what are some difficulties that volkswagen if they decide to use their own system may face when developing this ui you know um i think in, in terms of maps it's not necessarily the ui it's more the data behind the map uh, ah, definitely so, Yeah, they they license uh, a navigation from Here Maps or TomTom or whoever, so they don't. I don't think they make their own. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it depends on the services you use, how good they are, and how used. Like I, I can imagine that it, it's not uh, impossible to make a navigation app that is better than Google Maps. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also kind of a. a, a people are used to using google maps uh, and so it's hard to convince people to use another app that's one thing true but in terms of like infotainment design and development uh what we see a lot of challenges because up until recently car makers were making everything in some kind of linux based system or some other system mm -hmm. and suddenly they have to convert the entire team to android and uh, so there is no history or background there and so they're struggling to find out like what are the best practices in android development which ui framework to use etc and so you see some mistakes being made there or some um unusable decisions that lead to a a weird ui or a slow yeah, so they're essentially learning as they go yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. i think that would be the trend yeah. that would be the trend we'll see going forward as well you are developing your own android automotive based os at snap right Tell yeah. me a little bit, and and you're a UX designer, and uh, tell tell us and the audience a little bit more on what is the role that UX design research has to design and research has to play uh, in ensuring a good OS for the consumers who will end up using it. Because I think this is a very crucial topic that a lot of OEMs miss out on, and a lot of people are not aware of. Yeah, yeah. The the state of software development and design in the car industry is a little bit trailing behind the, the tech industry. Uh, so we were working at a few OEMs uh, on their Android system and we saw the kind of challenges they have. So that's when we decided, okay, let's see if we if we can build something ourselves, because we also see lots of car makers that start up or have low volume that do not have the, the, the resources to build them their own. Mm -hmm. So like, what if we, what, let's see what we can do if we build our own, starting from like best practices in design and development what kind of infotainment system can we come up with? Uh, maybe it's just the same as car makers today and they're actually doing very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Or maybe it's something completely different. Uh, and so at the core of it is uh, a fast development cycle. So we noticed in car makers that they, they test their software and their design on like very elaborate hardware that is comparable to the real car. So they work in cycles of months. Just, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wrote some code. I now want to see how it works in the car. That takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So we started already by saying, okay, what if we run everything on small tablets? Uh, it's all Android. So you can run it on an Android tablet and you can start testing with it. And so the next thing we did is pair designers to developers. So mm -hmm. we see in car, car companies today, there is a design department and there is a software department and they don't really talk. So the mm -hmm. designers design something for months It's done and they throw it over the fence to the developers and then they can go and start working with it. Yeah. Uh, whereas we work together with designers and developers. And so from a designer's perspective, it's important to understand the, the framework you're working with, the technical side of it, 
And from a developer, it's important to, to learn from the designer that this is something you're making that is going to be used by people. Uh, and so this perspective is important to be brought into the entire organization. And so that's how we started. Uh, we in short cycles, so we iterate mm -hmm. multiple times per day, just start figuring out how can we make the, the most, the simplest infotainment system. So what are the features you use mm -hmm. the most that are crucial? And let's start with that and then gradually build it out. Yeah, that's... Are you uh, somehow defending yourself uh, from data bias? Um, we had recently a case here where we we read a study and the study, the survey really was done by a, um, a survey agency that usually targets a certain group of uh, people. They're usually older age and they're usually male. And, you know, the study was interesting and the article was very interesting. But if you dig through what they have done in the past, it really comes out that this is so highly biased towards a certain group of people that if we would apply this knowledge to something now, probably by the time we develop uh, the product, they would most likely be already passed <laughs> onto a different life. So how do you guys defend yourself with this from this? Uh, so... We have a core, our core product with the core functionality that is basically just media navigation and climate control. So mm -hmm. these are nine out of 10 interactions you have with the car. Mm -hmm. And they have to work for everyone from age 17 to 100 mm -hmm. uh, with uh, who are very technically averse or who are have never used the smartphone before. Mm -hmm. That's the default. It has to work for all of these people. Uh, and so with our because we have these tablets, it's very easy to take this tablet, mount it in the car and start testing and trying with, with people. And so when this core system is working well, uh, then that's when you start looking at which kind of car maker we're working with. So is, if we're working with a multi-million high-end hypercar, mm -hmm. uh, there the customer base will be different from mm -hmm. if you're working with a uh, cheap, uh, car sharing, like small city car, yeah. where you know you have a super diverse group of customers, yeah. and then we work with these uh, to to adapt the interface to those use cases. Good, nice, glad to hear. Yeah, and uh, let's 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 stay on this topic a little bit more of um, of of cars and smartphones and digital devices. On our podcast, Dr. Peter Riesker said that. Cars of today are comparable to smartphones on wheels, but cars of the future will be much more powerful than smartphones. You know, uh, smartphones will be cars without wheels. You know, do you see cars becoming much more powerful and versatile uh, digital devices compared to smartphones in the future by any chance? Uh, what, what is a smartphone on wheels? Uh, you like how we we were discussing earlier, right? You plug in your smartphone, and that's the infotainment system essentially. And then you're driving, so it's like a car is like a smartphone on wheels, like it's just a digital device in the infotainment system, right? Like a, an all-purpose device exactly. that has everything yeah. in it, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting thought. Um, I think I, we hear that a lot from from car makers. Um, I, I'm not so sure about it. Uh, so the, the one thing we we learn when we test our devices and maybe observe people using the car is that the car is a device that mm -hmm. gets you from A to B. It's a very specific kind of tool mm -hmm. that transports people. And the infotainment system is a part 
of that device. And the infotainment system is there to help you go from A to B in a safe and comfortable way. Um, and so within that context, there are very useful services you can create to help drivers go from A to B in terms of navigation, parking, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of a general purpose device, mm -hmm. I, you, there's a lot of talk about cars becoming like a second living room yeah. or whatever, and, yeah. and people will spend hours inside the car watching content. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the first you need to research properly how will the car change and how do people respond to it? Will people actually spend time in the car? So during COVID, of course, I saw lots of colleagues with cars have their meetings inside the car because <laughs> if you're at home with the kids, yeah. that's the only quiet space you have. Yeah. And so there is maybe an opportunity for the car to become more than just a transportation device. But then you can again ask the question, if the car is more than a transportation device, what is it that people will do inside the car? Is it work or entertainment? Mm -hmm. And if it is, what are the problems that people have inside the car that an infotainment system can solve? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's a lot of like, we are going to turn the car into a cinema or whatever, but <laughs> most people will take their phone and watch it there. Yeah. So maybe the solution is not to turn the car into a smartphone, but to make sure you can stream your video to the car from your phone, because mm -hmm. I already have a smartphone. Why would I need a second smartphone with yeah. wheels? Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of assumptions there. And I think car makers are very eager to push this because they want to make the car a device that where people spend time so they can mm -hmm. earn a little bit of like subscription money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. Uh, but there is no, not really, there's like a lot of research that needs to be done before to make it useful. Uh, and that's very challenging. And that's this like making stuff that people want uh, is something that doesn't very happen, happen very much currently. Yeah, I think you uh, compressed all our previous guests into your speech right now because it's so diverse uh, between the opinions, but they kind of all revolve around the same thing. So it feels like mm, the, I, the concepts really, because they're just ideas at the moment, are being pulled in every direction and they're trying to incorporate you know, the subscription model inside the car. But then they are like how much time will people spend and a group a certain group of people says yes it will be a third space uh, concept like we see in asia and now you know it's slowly being brought to to western markets but then other people say yeah but this will be a sad future if you have to spend six hours in the car you know for whatever reason except driving from a to b or abc your destination so it's it's very it's like this uh, fight i know you always said lesser evil but Actually, it's it's very interesting which way it's going to be pulled because no matter who we talk to from uh, different parts of the automotive industry, like um, we had uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Stefan Hertel from uh, Saint-Gobain Security where they do glazing and he was very open about the fact that they are actually working about making the space in uh, vehicles the external and internal glazing as an advertising space yeah. for you so you know it's like this fight but personally i i feel like this would be so sad if you instead of going you know play football uh go for a date i don't know cinema to enjoy the 
sound, the visuals, all these pleasurable things that we do. You sit in your car and for and six hours. for six hours, you know, and 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 then another group of people says, yeah, the biggest uh, enemy of car entertainment is your personal device. That is, you know it. It's it's suited to you. Although the iPhones look exactly the same from, although maybe mine is green, yours is white, but when you open it it's a new phone it's a totally different phone then how do you compete with that so yeah yeah i'm glad uh, you guys uh, developing your own system are aware of this and and uh, you are very on the fence with going uh, into the sad future of <laughs> being glued <laughs> to the screen even in your car you know yeah it reminds me of the i7 yeah but the i7 has a very um limited entry point you know it's not for everybody yeah, oh yeah that's yeah, true yeah that's yeah true. you can have the big limo in the screen in the back but even when the limousines were cheaper and less less crazy you know how many limos do you see on the street you know so it's 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 for different uh type of audience uh, uh for sure um moving on how does a process of creating an uh, aos look like uh, so from a design perspective, it's uh, it's pretty unlimited. Mm -hmm. So you have lots of freedom uh, as a designer to, to pretty much do what you want. Of course, there's restrictions in terms of the UI library that the, the, that the developers will use. Uh, so if you want to do fancy uh, gradients and, and uh, see-through blurred effects, that's going to cause some issues. Mm -hmm. um, but if you work within these bounds that are really like pretty unlimited, um, then you can do whatever. Mm -hmm. That's uh, interesting because I I, uh, I think GM was very proud to announce that they were working with Real Engine Five, Unreal Engine Five, yeah, yeah, or Nvidia. I'm not sure, but one of the big uh, game, uh, co computer games, uh, softwares and development houses and now hardware, I guess, as well. Uh, and then your system being suited for multiple vehicles. How limited are you with with uh, the, this, the, the graphics, basically, how it looks like? Um, so if you want to render 3D content, then you need to have a 3D rendering engine. And so that could be, could be Unreal or, or could be others. Uh, it kind of depends also on the car maker we work with. Mm -hmm. uh, if you work with a high-end sports car company, uh, then of course they really like to show 3D graphics inside the interface. And then it makes sense to use a 3D rendering engine to so show stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, others really don't care want just a simple system. Uh, so it's, it's pretty open again to to what you can do so we we set up our infotainment system so that it is completely customizable so in terms mm -hmm. of ui it's we build our own theming engine so it's super elaborate you can basically make your infotainment system look completely different between car brands mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but beyond just ui it's also flexible in terms of which uh, architecture you'd like to use and which components you want to display inside the car so yeah if we work with a sports car company that wants to have a cool charging animation of their 3d sports car with cool animation that's all possible uh and if yeah if we work with people not using very expensive hardware <laughs> then we tend to steer away from that <laughs> that makes sense uh, it's it's also quite interesting that you decided to make uh this snap os this os that is based on android automotive um, 
I hope I'm using the right terminology. I want to know a little bit more about how you identified the market gap, uh, where your product fits in, and what those market gaps are. If you can share it with us, because it's quite interesting yeah. now to see this this new new uh, surge of automotive OS. Mm. Yeah, basically, up until recently, with our every car maker making their own bespoke uh, system, for any other company, it doesn't make sense to make their own uh, infotainment system and sell it as a product. Uh, but now with Android, anyone with Android development experience can go and build an infotainment system. Mm -hmm. uh, and so since we were working in the car industry for, for quite some time, we saw that there are many car makers starting up. Mm -hmm. And there are lower volume car makers that do not build their stuff in-house. So they need to license it from a big supplier. Uh, and then you basically get a pretty yeah, basic system that may not work very well or it's not the most advanced or whatever. Uh, so we said, okay, well, we, can, we are experts in Android. We can build our own system. So what if we see what we can do with Android Automotive and build the best system. So we are a software company. We approach it from a software company perspective. Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, we have opinions about how you should interact with the car. Let's see if we can build this uh, and verify our assumption that there are car makers out there that want to have like a world-class user experience without having to pay lots for it. Uh, and so that's kind of the assumption where we started uh, two years ago. Uh, and yeah, now two years later, we have an infotainment system and we're working towards the first cars to be on the road. Very nice. I mean, uh, given that there are not too many, uh, I mean, too many OEMs, I think then that makes the market a little limited. So I'm really excited to see, or maybe one day have in the garage <laughs> a car with your operating system for us to test as well. And yeah, we're also quite surprised by how many little startups that are doing really niche cars mm -hmm. uh, so it, and we basically make products for anyone from like more higher volume car makers to very low volume car makers so mm -hmm. even car makers that convert a classic car to an ev that mm -hmm. want to have some kind of infotainment system uh, but that doesn't dominate the whole beautiful look of the car but you want to have google maps inside the car mm -hmm. From these like low production volume car makers to higher ones, it's it's very fun to work with such a diverse kind of uh, group of companies uh, going from yeah, like I said, classic cars to specific safari vehicles to anything really. So, for example, if um, Brabus comes to you, would you be able to facilitate their needs inside the MBUX uh, experience? Uh, so we provide a full infotainment system. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would replace the whole MVUX okay. system, which is uh, not advisable. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we work with OEMs on their systems and we make uh, apps as well for Android Automotive. But we work with companies that do not have an infotainment solution at the moment. Okay. And so then we can provide both the software and the hardware as well, depending on who we work with. And uh, let's let's take for one second uh, the Renault Megane Tech and the Polestar. These have the Android Automotive system directly from Google with all the Google services. Everything built in looks like a Google Pixel phone, you know. And yeah. then you have your operating system, which is also based on Android Automotive. 
could you tell us also a little bit more on how they differ and how your OS is a bit maybe may advantages compared to using Google stock OS? Right. Yeah. So we we are basically saying, okay, we provide the infotainment system, and then we help the car maker decide which services to use inside the car that best mm-hmm. fit them. Now, the I think Google Automotive services are really great, but Google tends to talk only to really high volume car makers, mm-hmm. uh, and so that our customers are will never like Google will not even answer them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they do not have the option for Google Automotive Services. Then for the very low volume car makers we talk to, we sometimes even suggest to just stick with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto because it doesn't make sense to pay for an app store and a navigation app, etc. If you you can just use Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, which is much cheaper to license. And then so we build these the stock infotainment system with a charge app and with everything you need to control the car. And then media navigation is handed off to Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Mm-hmm. And then for the more higher volume car makers, we then work with our partner network to suggest which app store to go for with navigation app best suits them. And everything basically works in our system and we will help to adapt it to, to make it work. If you can share with us which uh, OEMs have your system, uh, unfortunately, I cannot yet. Okay. Uh, we are working towards the first car, so we hope to announce soon who we're, who we're working with. Fair um, enough. But we cannot Fair share it at the moment. Now I'll get an email. Remove that question. After. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're totally open about it. Okay. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, how do you prioritize user experience research in your company? Do you do you conduct user experience research and do you prioritize it as well? Uh, so we we do it in different phases. Okay. Uh, so initially, uh, to get the core of the infotainment system right, we did it internally in the company. So because we have tablets, uh, we have built our own li- little firmware updater and our mm-hmm. own. We call it an app store, but it's not an app store. It's for development purposes, right? Okay. Uh, and so I can stick this thing in my car, and I can test it. Uh, either with someone driving and I play around with it, or if we are in a safe area on a parking lot, I play it with myself. Um, And so that's how we develop the core of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we are, in the end, users of the product as well. Uh, And so we have a diverse group of employees inside and in the larger group of companies. Uh, And so we've figured out the core interaction there. But then when we work with a car maker, we have access to their customer base uh, and we do user research for specific areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we work with a sports car company that wants a track, they focus up, uh, we have to understand what the average customer does on the track. Or if we work with a off-road vehicle, I have I don't do any off-roading, so mm-hmm. I cannot design that. So I mm-hmm. need to understand what the average uh, off-road customer does uh, on, a, on a typical day. So then we do specific user research. Um, considering the uh, what metrics do you define a success of this iOS? And we are in an era where I guess if you're successful, the volumes will be huge for, for you with the implementation of the system. We are not in the 90s anymore where uh, in a Linux, Windows and Mac OS, or the 80s, actually 70s, where they were fighting to be the leader and then no one actually knew what's going to happen. We've all kind of lift the history now and um, we are aware that if you're successful it is big time successful so what uh, what metrics do you consider to be a successful iOS 
Uh, so, I mean, you're you're completely right. Uh, everything in the car industry is about volume. Uh, so that's why a lot of the car makers we talk to are quite desperate uh, because nobody wants to talk to them. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> instead of having one or two huge customers, mm -hmm. we focus on having a lot of smaller customers and that way we can achieve lots of volume actually. Mm -hmm. um, and so our success for our product basically means, first of all, having production cars driving with our system on it, which we'll mm -hmm. soon achieve. Uh, and then also being able to, like we want to show to the car industry how to develop infotainment systems and how much better they can be. Uh, and so the next thing would be that we're seeing right now is car makers are coming to us, not only because they have a need for an infotainment system, but they want like the best infotainment system in the market mm -hmm. and something different than already exists. And for us, that would be like the success metric. Can we get car makers to come to us because the design is very good and we provide mm -hmm. the best user experience. Uh, but, and if that leads to the high volume, that's then even better. <laughs> but I guess you're going by some sort of gut feeling at this moment. You can't, really put a, a table and say yes if we do this this is a successful it's still kind of fluid yeah of course it's fluid uh so no, i mean there's a difference between having a financially healthy company yeah. uh, and building uh and then at the same time being able to build a great product yeah. Yeah, yeah uh so because we work with car makers at the moment uh like large oems we mm -hmm. help them with their android system etc we get revenue from there, and mm -hmm. we put all of that into the product of yeah. the company, we can basically focus fully on building the best product there is. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're not concerned about uh, reaching volume, high volume very quickly, because we are sustainable, and we want to build the best product. So we, we don't want to compromise uh, and, and reach some kind of high volume brand with a bad product, we want to build the best product, and with that reach the volume we want to achieve. Mm -hmm. It makes it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's let's uh, ask one final question, which no, is no, we have. We, I have one more because oh, you do. You ask and let me fire after you. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, I I personally did uh, my research in the field of personalization of uh, yep. automotive HMIs. Um, what role do you think personalization plays in cars of today when it comes to the infotainment system? Do you think it's important that users are able to? Uh, receive personalized recommendations or, you know, uh, have the ability to personalize their infotainment systems to the way they like it? Yeah, uh, so that's that's two points again. Uh, receiving personalized feedback is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we were thinking about how do you make the interaction with the car easier and safer? And that's basically by eliminating as many steps as possible. Mm -hmm. So especially the interactions that take many steps to complete, like opening a specific playlist or finding a specific location. You, the car knows a lot about the driver and it's not being used today. So we are playing a lot with, um, with AI to figure out mm -hmm. how can we give personalized suggestion to the driver at the right moment that will skip many steps in the interface. So that's, that's one part of the personalization. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're playing with it. It's super fun uh, to see what kind of things you can come up with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other side is the, just the personalization of the system. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I already mentioned that we made our own theming engine. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it is, it is theoretically possible to customize the interface completely like you want. Uh, and so we speak a lot with car makers um, 
for example, again, the sports car makers where, you know, you buy a 500,000 euro car mm -hmm. uh, and you get to choose everything in the interior, including the type of leather and the color and everything. Why not choose the UI theme from the system as well? So it matches your interior. True. Mm -hmm. These are things that we can do now and we see a lot of interest coming from there uh, because it's important that the, the UI blends in very well with the interior of the car. So mm -hmm. you can customize it already in the purchase process or afterwards even. like I don't know, maybe you are a sports car company and uh, you're competing in a race and you have a special livery for the car. Then you can show a UI theme based on that livery around the race inside all of your customer vehicles. You can do all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I see that there's lots of interest from the car maker from this perspective, mm -hmm. from users uh, uh, basically as well, uh, especially Android users. Uh, there's a special like with the new material design, mm -hmm. you can basically customize everything on your phone to fit your favorite theme colors. Uh, and so we see lots of Android users use that as well. And we can extend that to the car as well. Yeah, I mean, this, I think, um... Is something already quite available with different sport modes right if you choose the eco it's all green and very not aggressive and then if you uh, you choose uh, sport it's either dark blue or or very strong red and you know, the the graphics are more modern and yeah. more aggressive yeah and in ev you hear fake sounds <laughs> in EV you hear <laughs> vacuum sounds yeah exactly yeah. but it's super interesting because uh, i i for one would love to irrespective of whether or not i'm racing put some nice <laughs> livery based uh, skins on my infotainment you know but yeah yeah, yeah go ahead and Sorry. we can do it over the air and oh, instead that's cool. of all the drive modes that are they are pre-programmed inside the car we mm -hmm. can push new ui themes over the air and have it update on your companion app as well yeah. Uh, to give this unified experience. Yeah, I mean, this brings another uh, question or a problem, actually, rather than a question. I mean, for example, I'm a very avid Garmin user and I am into the Garmin ecosystem and uh, Garmin has their own... Uh, by the way, I'm not endorsed by Garmin, <laughs> just to make it, but I <laughs> yeah. really enjoy their devices. And you can install your own uh, look of your watch, basically. But some of the designs that are not uh, Garmin, uh, that are just available widely on the App Store, are just unusable. So you can be easily lost in the user experience or just usability in, in total, you know, in general. Yeah. So it's not that easy to make a good-looking, functional new system and... Even if you switch between echo mode and sport mode and, <laughs> you know, just changing the colors is not that easy even then. Yeah, you know? true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So far we work with car makers on that. So we impose restrictions, of course. So mm -hmm. I, we also don't want the product out there that is like, has like really awful colors. Uh, yeah. yeah. Looks, and we also don't want users to pick a font that is unreadable. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that there are basic safety and contrast and accessibility issues that have to be uh, restricted, and then within there, uh, it's it's a challenge to to find the right balance. Yeah, and as well, it's I mean, it gives you lots of flexibility to change things, but at the same time, you can always lose this kind of identity of the car. You know, if you do Definitely. too many updates, and it will just do a full remake of the system, basically, and you don't, you're lost. You get in the car, and it doesn't look anything familiar to you, or the brand. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of challenges with uh, options, I guess. The more options, the more challenges at the same time. And I wanted to touch more of, uh, before we, we, we finish, I wanted to touch a bit on uh, the personal aspect. Uh, you've, you created a blog where you share your thoughts on uh, many aspects. Uh, actually, very similar to what uh, kind of we, we do in Experts in Cars um, on, on our YouTube channel. Uh, so it's uh, quite interesting uh, to read through your thoughts. Um, for the general public that listens to us, what which uh, car in general and then maybe which system outside of yours would you say could be a, a pleasant experience? Uh, I think we mentioned the two already a lot. Okay. <laughs> uh, Polestar and Renault, I think, mm -hmm. have the best systems today, especially Polestar. Uh, I, I, I mean, as a designer, I find it very important that stuff like safety uh, and ergonomics are taken into account. And mm -hmm. when you look at the Pulsar system, it's really obvious that this was a high priority. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the main uh, issues I have with car interfaces is that they make the buttons too small. Oh, yeah. Because it yeah. looks better. Um, no, mm -hmm. no other interface you use uh, in your daily lives has big buttons. So the trend is to have the same, like if you have big buttons in a car, it looks weird. And so it's very difficult to make big buttons look good. And so Pulsar well, made it part of their branding. Uh, and so they, their touch surfaces are much bigger because of course you're driving a car on a bumpy road on a touch screen, yeah. that's not ideal. Yeah. You need to have big buttons. I mean, I think Mercedes didn't hear the thing that small buttons are better because... I mean, Mercedes has these huge, huge icons, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, they, I, I think it's like uh, Chinese or, or Chinese OSs and Tesla's OS keep me up at night with nightmares, you know. Like, <laughs> I would not want yeah. to use that on a daily basis. I'm just driving around. I want to adjust my climate control. Just give me a knob to turn the temperature, yeah, you know, yeah. not look in the touchscreen and press like small arrows here and there, you know. Yeah, and it's easy yeah. to get lost and the other thing is that the system of Polestar is very simple yeah uh, it's so easy to make an overly complex system like adding stuff to an interface is super easy everyone mm -hmm. can do it you can add as many features as you want it's no big deal mm -hmm. but making something easy and simple is very difficult uh, yeah. you see it of course with startup car car makers because they don't have the time yet <laughs> to yeah. add more features uh, but it's also just makes the system much better if you don't have like 25 different settings and options and apps and etc i believe most of them when they sit down to the drawing board their idea is to make it easy and clear and simple i doubt they sit down and make it let's put everything in there yeah you know? oh we are missing out on this we are missing out on <laughs> yeah, that and yeah. then just although I, bmw kind of feels like they threw everything in there no i mean with bmw my personal gripe was that there are too many apps mm -hmm. and it's very hard to find something and the names of the apps are not what you think they would be so True. it's a mismatch of expectations personally. But yeah, I, I agree. I quite like the Volvo Polestar uh, system. It's quite nice. And especially the Android integration, like you go into the maps and I just type my Google account and everything was there. My favorite destinations, my home address, office address, uh, maybe even Tom's address because Google know, knows where he lives. But, you know, everything was there. It was Does super. It now? <laughs> <laughs> it was super interesting and i quite loved that system as well so yeah, yeah that's a yeah that's a very interesting uh, direction that the industry is taking going for android automotive yeah. and i'm very curious what 
Apple or Microsoft or uh, someone else has to counter. Oh my God, Microsoft, imagine the updates, you're stuck in traffic, <laughs> and then <laughs> auto-update starts, your car shuts off, you know. Blue yeah. screen of death. My, this is my opinion, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> avoiding the lawsuit again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lastly, uh, you, I think you have to promise us that once the cars hit the market, you send us an email and we'll be able to fetch uh, one of those cars here for our uh, benchmarking purposes. Of course. Uh, we would love it, to have it over yeah, yeah, put it up on screens uh, as well. So I yeah, can't wait for, for the premiere um, to be or the embargo to be lifted for you guys and uh, you'll be able to share the great news. Um, yeah. If you if you have the need, obviously, to share where to find uh, and how to contact uh, Snap or yourself, please, this is the time, basically. Yeah, we're called Snap Automotive. So just Google Snap Automotive and you'll, you'll find us. Uh, we're pretty <laughs> high in the Android Automotive <laughs> search results. Nice. Super. Yeah. Uh, it's and been... you, you mentioned Casper has a blog as well. Yes. Uh, and the blog? Right, yeah. My blog is called The Turn Signal. Uh, so it's my personal blog on automotive UX design. So I, I try to bridge the gap between academic research, because there's lots of it, mm-hmm. and uh, the practical design uh, perspective of it. Uh, so it's completely dedicated to... Highly recommend design. it. It's it's a quick read. Uh, so nice, nice, easy, digestible, very good. Well, it's been uh, a pleasure having you on. Thank you for reaching out uh, to us uh, to be a guest on the podcast. Uh, Really different perspective uh, from you and very open. Thank you for that. Uh, With most OEMs, we or the people we have on, they're open, but they're still held by some limitations due to what they're working on. And thank you for the honesty and being very open. Um, uh, for the listeners and uh, viewers, um, you can find the podcast on uh, YouTube and Spotify in uh, video form. And as well, audio will be all the major platforms. So Spotify, Google, Amazon Music and Apple Podcast and the Screens Podcast. Very simple to remember. Um, it's been a pleasure. Casper uh, Castles from uh, Snap Automotive. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation. We did too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.